goes on and on and on, and so do I. It's like what the old man gripping a bottle of pickles said, I don't care about vagina, I'm too old to care about vagina. He punched his crotch, Walmart security took him away, so much for the grace of aging. After writing every day since 1990, may the final poem be simple. Just a boy dipping a toe in the ocean or skipping a stone alone with consciousness for company as I did in the beginning. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Mike G., Mark Sargent, and Emmett Wheatfall. Thanks to all you who have been listening and contributed some funds to KBU. Thanks to Talking Earth founders Walt Curse and Barbara Lamorticella and Premier Engineer Patrick Bocard. Have a good night. Have poetry. Give money to KBU. Thanks. Are you a fan of early rock and roll, doo-wop, rhythm and blues, and 70s rock? If so, The Roots of Rock and Roll is the show for you, and KBOO Portland is the place to be Friday afternoons at 3. Dale Farr will give you a history lesson from the birth of rock and roll through the 50s and 60s. And Ray Bodwell will mine the 60s and 70s for the deep cuts, hidden gems, and variety that you won't hear on generic classic rock stations. So tune in to The Roots of Rock and Roll, Fridays at 3 p.m. on KBOO Portland, your community radio station. This is KBOO Portland, community radio for the Pacific Northwest. Stay tuned at midnight for Self-Help Radio. Right now, it's the bedtime radio show for grown-ups, Gremlin Time. Good evening and welcome to Gremlin Time. This is Fortunato once again. Well, here we are on a nice spring evening and we're going to present a couple of eerie tales for you. First is uh, from uh, the great CBS radio series, Escape. And this ran from about 1947 to 1954. And it was a really high quality program, but it never really had any sort of set sponsor, nor did it have a set um, airtime. It was always moved around and there was like an oil company that sponsored it for a while and somebody else. But um, they presented a really great lineup of stories, and you can look it up on like uh, Wikipedia or somewhere to uh, see what programs that they aired. You know, adaptations of uh, Joseph Conrad and H.G. Wells and a lot of others. Tonight's story stars Vincent Price, Three Skeleton Key, and was first aired in uh, March of 1950. The, uh, an opening announcer is, of course, the great William Conrad, who uh, did a lot of announcing and starring on uh, CBS radio productions. So let's uh, turn the lights down low 
as we now present Three Skeleton Key. Tonight, we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and a nightmare world of terror and violence. Oh, I'm sorry, folks. This isn't William Conrad. This is the great Paul Fries, who also alternated with Conrad as doing the narrations on these stories. You may remember him as Boris Badenoff on Rocky and Bullwinkle, the great Paul Fries. As we bring you again in response to hundreds of requests, Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price. Picture this place. A gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the lighthouse rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water. Gray-green scum dappled warm as soup and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war, and yes, sharks, the big ones, the 15-footers. And as if this weren't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. A wind that had smelled the slow and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door And in you went And up Yes, up and up and round and round Past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope Casts of wicks and racks of lanterns Sacks of spuds and cartons and cans And up and up and up Round and round over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing blinding little beams off the big shining reflectors, glittering and refracting through her lenses, the whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light. And at night, she'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. And it wouldn't be bad, the other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste, what a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country, black beard, Little hard black eyes and a pair of arms that I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. 
a silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... Jean, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You, you're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe for once they send me somebody... That was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down. Because August was the talkingest man I'd ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchback, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Indeed, played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand, yes? Gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers, and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. Green Master, a big one, about a half mile off and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, Glory! Glory! Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again. I had the glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, her foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guess it. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Yeah, the square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch north, northwest. I know. I know what it is. Huh? What? The Dutchman. The flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly, gallian, hag-ridden, curse-ridden, must all... Shut up, will you? She's loving. Yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left her for some reason or other. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with these reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she left again, caught some odd gust, and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, heeling and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. 
and on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief? She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here. Take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. What is it you... I had to focus and then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no mi- I don't know, an endless number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look. Chatterbox, give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. <laughs> She's going to turn. She better turn soon. <laughs> suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's slow tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Where's all the conversation, August? Huh? Here, want the glasses again? <laughs> want another look? No, no. She's still coming on. Go away! Turn! Will you turn? I say, I pray you turn! She's climbing up. The rats! Look! On the water! Like a carpet! They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below! It's open! Come on! Down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Gracie! But hurry! Hurry! Look! See them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at the millions. They smell us. Here they come. Close the door. Here, let me. Oh, you, you, you. Made it. Holy. That was close. One guy in. Look, there. Get it. He's as big as a His eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for it, hard and ravenous, and we fought him, fought that one rat all over the room. It was, oh, believe me, I do not exaggerate, it was like fighting a panther. Got him. We better get aloft. We ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows at the various levels, and at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louie, and I turned at each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you look at them? The air of the galley was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown. Silted through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about. I could not see the sky. Nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling hairy snouts, their teeth. The rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three, we stood 
very quietly. Oh, yes, very quietly in the center of the classroom under our beautiful light. What shall we do? What shall we do? Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. But can I just try? It don't do any good to stand here and shake. That's right. Anybody want a cigarette? Yes, yes, I have one. Thank you. Good boy. We've got to keep calm about this thing. There's a light. 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 Not until what? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the class. They could see us and they could rush at us, but that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. Only it had drowned some of them. Ships rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you cannot drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Mm. Hey, what's the time? Quarter six. You've got this watch, John. Right. Uh, wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Argus. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught me. Listen in their gigantic wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motion. Light drove mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. She blinded them in the fierce stabbing bar of light, moving continually about at a turning, at a touching, of a moving around and around, and they twisting and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light. Right, the light moving, and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dare not turn my back, but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. Believe me, a ten, but I didn't get much sleep that night. And when I came up into the gallery early next morning, there stood August, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast for the Paris Theatre. Prelate, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of the Marechal into the nether path. <laughs> 
Do not be frightened, little children. I will not but, hurt hey, you. I said staring at him, horror struck, but he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. Huggers! Huggers! Ah, another one. A latecomer. Take your seat on the aisle, dear patron. I'll go smooth over there. Stop it. Let the gentleman be But easy. he didn't. Come, come. He went on, bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arm. He looked at me like a child. Then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below, go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes. Sounds horrible? <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> We could get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It throw them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louie was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall 110 feet to the surf below. Sharks. They're eating them. Yeah, the sharks are our friends. Here, yeah, here. Yeah. I'll get another bunch together. Here, yeah, my beauty. That's it. Fine, let's kill each other. There they go. Auguste joined in, too. Oh, very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the class, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats. It went on all day. And then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, Louis, come uh, quick! What? Well, what is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy and assured of the success of this maneuver, were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We set it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body scudding against the other side as the window gave way. That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. Oh, window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed the marlin spike, swung, and smashed one in midair. No! I whirled to see Louie with the other. It had ripped his hand open, and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louie. I'll, I'll get you something to tie that up. 
blood. Look at it, my... My blood, I'm bleeding. Now, don't worry about it, Louie. Here, look. I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There, now. It's not bad. Just the flesh. Then I became conscious of another new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated. Even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through... took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. And so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. The hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. <laughs> Would you like to come in, my beauty? Would you? I hold the powers of life and death. And I can let you in you all. August was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. And he went back to my feet, slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little harder. As a... Found a coil of wire in the toolkit, and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side, looking at his bloody hands, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company, and all about watching our little drama, the rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. We had only one way of summoning them, and that was to shoot off distress rockets, but the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay, thirst-tormented, starving, waiting, waiting, and the following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted, and quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. Nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing... From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. When I did, it lit up the million red eyes about it. 
all about watching, waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting, all waiting. And then the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but I was afraid. What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger or crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. That's all. That's the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. August, insane asylum, he never recovered. And Louis, they took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his vice. Uh, oh, yes. Well, that's the whole of it. If you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. No, no mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous, sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Tadeus, adapted for radio by James Poe and starring Vincent Price as Jean. Supporting Mr. Price were Harry Bartell as August and Jeff Corey as Louis. Sound effects on Three Skeleton Key, created by Cliff Thorsness and executed today by Mr. Thorsness, Gus Bays, and Jack Sixsmith, have been awarded the best of the year by Radio and Television Life magazine. Harry Essman was at the control panel, and special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. And that was Three Skeleton Key from the CBS show Escape from about 1950. Um, Escape started uh, airing in like 1947 and ended in 1954. 
It was one of these great series that CBS made. It was a sister program to Suspense, presenting more action-adventure stories than suspenseful uh, crime stories. Um, It never really got a permanent time slot or a permanent um, sponsor, and it moved around a lot. But when they put it on, people listened to it. And so... uh, that's from 1950, right when magnetic tape was starting to be introduced into radio production. It was uh, Bing Crosby, who didn't want to come in and do his daily or weekly radio show live anymore. And so um, <clears throat> looking around for a better way to uh, reproduce his show, he uh, made the acquaintance of an engineer named John Mullen, who had been in the Signal Corps over in Europe at the end of World War II. He, they had been tracking down Nazi radio jamming stations and trying to figure out how those worked. And while he was doing that, he came across um, magnetic tape that the Germans had been developing for uh, you know since the mid-30s. And so he brought the tape and the equipment back to the U.S. and started tinkering around with it. And it was finally Bing Crosby who gave him the backing and a company called Ampex uh, was started and uh, radio stations just changed to doing magnetic tape. It was easier to record, it was easier to transport and it sounded really good. Now our next drama is uh, from the NBC series X-1 and is by Ray Bradbury and I believe appeared in his short story collection, The Illustrated Man. And it's a story about parenting and new technology. It's been a little cleaned up from the original, but still it kind of gets the idea of it. So let's listen now to Ray Bradbury's The Velt. This is the office of Dr. David McLean, resident psychiatrist of the new Chicago Institute of Human Engineering. All right, Miss Carver, will you take this, please? To Charles S. Haworth, senior psychiatrist, new Chicago Institute of Human Engineering. The following constitutes my report on the case of George and Lydia Abbott, which we discussed by telephone. Subject George relates onset of symptoms to the purchase of a $60,000 soundproofed happy life home. Under narcosynthesis during initial interviews, subject described the experience in the following manner. Miss Carver, would you play back the sonic record of the initial interview? We'd always wanted one, and then we could afford it, so... Go on, Mr. Abbott. Tell me about the home. The home? Well, it was supposed to do everything, the agent told us. And it did, I guess. It clothed us, fed us, and rocked us to sleep, played and sang, and it was good to us. Very good, sure. Tell me about the nursery. The nursery. The nursery, ah. It was completely automatic? Completely automatic. There were crystalline walls that wavered from two to three dimensions. There were pseudo-textured floors that shifted from brick to dirt to waving grass. The nursery was the best, but then we wanted the best for the children. Doctor, I must be crazy. We have no children. What about Peter and Wendy? 
They're your children. Oh, no, no. We have no children, Doctor. We have no children. All right, Miss Carver. To continue. After three sessions, the subject was able to recall and accept the idea that he had two children. He described the first day. All right, Peter and Wendy, this is your nursery. What's so special about a nursery, Dad? Plenty. Just go in and see. Do we have to? You'll be surprised. Gee. Go ahead. I'm scared. I'm not. Hey, it's nice in here. It is? Come on in, Wendy. Boy, look at the pictures on the walls. They're real. <laughs> They're almost real. You can change them any way you like, just by thinking. Go on in, dear. Well, all right, Mommy. Hey, Wendy, look what I can do with the pictures. That's the white rabbit. From Alice in Wonderland. Sure. I just thought about it, and there it was. Let me try. Peter, let me try. Well, go ahead. Just think. How about Wizard and Oz? I want to see Wizard and Oz. <laughs> well, dear, there we are. Oh, they like it, don't why, they? Why shouldn't they? All I have to do is think, and they've got whatever they want in three dimensions. Color, sound, and smell. <laughs> Oh, it's nice that we can give them all the advantages. Sure. What else are we working for, huh? Mm. Well, what do you want to do this evening? Well, the Petersons asked us over for bridge, but well, if you... Well, we don't have to worry about the kids. They'll be all right in the nursery. Come on, Lydia. We deserve a night out. And in the nursery, the walls were a kaleidoscope of time and space and imagination. The green forest of Sherwood and the quiet forms of Robin and his merry men gave way to the roll of the high seas and the smell of salt in the air as Sir Henry Morgan sailed into the harbor at Jamaica. And behind the crystalline quartz walls, the vacuum tubes and grids and banks of metal image tape spun quietly and efficiently, erasing the line between illusion and reality. Of course, the electric bill from Consolidated Utilities was tremendous, but it was worth it. The happy life home breathed contentedly as life proceeded with soft automaticity as guaranteed in the brochure and bill of sale. George. Hmm? George, I wish you'd look at the nursery. What's, uh, what's wrong with it? I don't know. I was in the nursery last week. It's perfectly all right. It's different now. What do you mean, different? I want you to come and see. Are the kids there? No. Madge Allen took them to a show along with her kids. That's why I want you to look at it now, before they get back. Oh, all right. What you expect me to do, I don't know. I'm no mechanic. This isn't a question of a leaky faucet, George. All right, dear. I'm coming. The nursery light flicked on as they came down the hall. The relays clicked and the tubes warmed and chemical odor banks and pipes bubbled into life as they paused before the closed door. Go ahead, George. Open it. On 
all sides, in three dimensions, stretched the hot, tired landscapes of an African veldt reproduced to the last stick and pebble and bit of straw. The ceiling above them became a sky with a hot yellow sun. A wind blew in from the baked veldtland. The hot straw smell of lion grass. The cool green smell of the hidden waterhole. The great rusty smell of animals. The howl of the jackal in the distance. And the papery rustling of the great vultures that wheeled and circled under the yellow burning sun. Let's get out of this, son. It's a little too real. Oh, George, you promised you'd look around. Well, I don't see anything. Wait a minute. There are the vultures. Filthy creatures. There. There are the lions. Far over that way. Yes, I see them. They're on their way to the water hole. They've just eaten. Some animal. A zebra or a baby giraffe, maybe. Can you see it? Are you sure? It's a little late to be sure. Nothing over there but clean bone and the vultures swooping down for what's left. Did you hear that scream? What scream? About a moment ago. Sorry, no. Oh, here come the lions. George, they're frightening. Take it easy, Lydia. They're just illusion. Lions were 15 feet away. So real, so startlingly real, you could feel the prickling fur on your hand, and your mouth was stuffed with the dusty upholstery smell of their heated pelts. And the yellow of them was in your eyes like the yellow of an exquisite tapestry. The yellows of lions and summer grass, and the sound of the matted lion lungs exhaling on the silent noontide, and the smell of meat from the panting, dripping mouth. George! I'm afraid they're so real. They're only an illusion, Lydia, that's all. Watch out! Ah! Out, quick, outside! They almost got us. Now take it easy, calm down. I could feel their breath. Get a hold of yourself, Lydia. They aren't real. Walls, that's all it is, crystalloid walls. They look so real. Of course they do. But it's all dimensional color reactionary process and metal tape film behind glass screens. It's all odorophonics and sonics. Now, here, take my handkerchief. I'm afraid. Did you see? Did you feel it? It's too real. No, no, Lydia. And we've got to tell Wendy and Peter not to read any more on Africa. Of course, of course, dear. I want you to lock that place up. But you know how difficult Peter is about that. I punished him last week by locking the nursery for an afternoon, and he threw a tantrum. And Wendy, too. Well, they live for the nursery. It's got to be locked. That's all there is to it. You've been working too hard, Lydia. You need a rest. I don't know. Maybe I don't have enough to do. I have too much time to think. All I do is set the menu selector dials at the beginning of the week. But that's the whole idea. The house is automatic. I know, but couldn't we turn it off for about a week and take a vacation? You mean you want to fry eggs for me? And darn socks. I feel like I don't belong here. The house is wife and mother and maid. How can I compete with the African belts? George, hmm? those lions can't get out of there, can they? Of course not, dear. Now don't think about it anymore. <laughs> Mm. 
They ate alone. He sat idly watching the dining room table produce warm dishes of food from its mechanical interior. You forgot the ketchup. That's better. It wouldn't hurt to lock the children out of the nursery for a while. It was clear that they had been spending too much time in Africa. At sun, he could feel it on his neck still like a hot paw. And the lions and the smell of blood. Remarkable how the nursery caught the telepathic emanations of the children's minds and created a life to fulfill their desires. The children thought zebras, and there were zebras. Sun, sun. Giraffes, giraffes. Death and death. They were so young. But long before you knew what death was, you were wishing it on someone else. But this, the long, hot African veldt, the awful death in the jaws of a lion, and repeated again and again and again. The children came home dutifully at 8.30. Hi, Mom. Hi, Pop. Hello, Hi. Do you want something to eat, dear? We're just having dessert. We're full of strawberry ice cream. And hot dogs. We'll just sit and watch. Sure. Uh, Peter, uh, tell us about the nursery. The nursery? All about Africa and everything. I don't understand. Well, your mother and I were just traveling through Africa with Rod and Reel. There's no Africa in the nursery. Oh, come now, Peter. We know better. I don't remember any Africa. Do you win? Uh-uh. Go run and see, huh? Sure. Uh, I'll be right back. Wendy, come back here. Wendy! Oh, she'll be right back, Pop. She doesn't have to. I've seen it. Come on. Sure, Pop. But Wendy will tell us. Open the door. See, Daddy, it's not Africa. It's Florida, like in Bambi. There go the deer. See, it isn't Africa. I see it isn't. Go to bed. But it isn't nine o'clock. You heard me. Go to bed. Okay. Good night, Mom. Good night, Pop. Good night. Good night, dear. I'll be right in. Wait a minute, Lydia. Look at this. What is it? This is the corner where the lions were, isn't it? What is that you picked up? An old wallet of mine. There's a smell of hot grass on it. The smell of a lion. It's wet with saliva. It's been chewed. George. Those smears of blood. Come on out. Now let's go to bed. But in the middle of the night, he was still awake. And he knew his wife was awake. George, how did your wallet get in the nursery? I don't know. Wendy must have changed the walls from the African veldt. I'm going to keep it locked. Maybe it isn't good for the children. My father used to say children are like carpets. They should be stepped on occasionally. We've never lifted a hand. They're spoiled and we're spoiled. I think I'll have Dr. McLean come tomorrow morning and have a look at Africa. But it isn't Africa now. It's Florida and Bambi. I have a feeling it'll be Africa again before then. All 
although their automatic somno beds tried very hard, the two adults could not be rocked to sleep for another hour. A smell of cats was in the night air. And in the morning, the stove cooked French toast, and the dining room table poured the syrup and melted butter. Pop? Yes? You aren't going to lock up the nursery for good, are you? That all depends. On what? On you and your sister. We feel you should have some variety, dear. I wouldn't want the nursery locked up ever. Well, as a matter of fact, we're thinking of turning the whole house off for about a month. Sort of camping out. Be fun for a change. Now, don't you think so, Wendy? No. It'd be awful. I don't want to do anything but look and listen and smell. What else is there to do? Oh, all right, all right. Go play in Africa. Are you going to shut off the house soon? We're considering it. I don't think you better consider it anymore, Pop. I won't have any threats from you, son. Okay, Pop. Come on, Wendy. Let's get back. After breakfast, Dr. David McLean arrived. Well, I saw the nursery last year, George. It looked all right to me. You didn't notice anything unusual? No. The patterns showed the usual violence, a tendency towards slight paranoia. All children feel persecuted by their parents. It's perfectly normal. There. There it is. Suppose we take a look at it now. They entered without knocking and sent the children out. The screams had faded and the lions were feeding quietly under the trees. I wish I could see what they're eating. How long has this been going on? A little over a month. Certainly doesn't feel good. I don't want feelings. I want facts. George, George, a psychologist never saw a fact in his life. He knows about feelings. And this doesn't feel good. Now, my advice to you is to have the whole room torn down and your children brought to me every day for the next year for treatment. Is it that bad? I'm afraid so. You know, that's why the nursery was developed originally, to let us examine the patterns left on the wall by a child's mind. But what is it? What's wrong with Peter and Wendy? Well, it's hard to say. I haven't punished them more than average. Oh, I took away a few gadgets. Last week, I locked the nursery to show I meant business. You've let this room replace you and your wife in your children's affections. This room is their real father and mother. And now you come along and want to shut it. Well, you can feel the hatred coming out of that sky. George, turn everything off. The nursery, the automatic kitchen, the whole automatic house. Start now. But won't the shock be too much for the children? I don't want them going any deeper. Let's get out of here. I never like these rooms. They get me nervous. Those lions look real, don't they? I don't suppose there's any way... What? ...that they could become real. Not that I know. Some flaw in the machinery, tampering? No. I don't imagine the room will like being turned off. Nothing ever likes to die, even a room. I wonder if it hates me for turning it off. Paranoia is thick today. Well, hello. Is this your scarf? It's stained. Brown. Blood. That's Lydia's. Come on, the main fuse box is out here. Go ahead, pull the switch. Yeah. It's off. 
The two children were in hysterics. They screamed and kicked and threw things. They yelled and sobbed and swore and jumped on the furniture, weeping. It's off and it stays off. The whole house dies as of now. He marched around the house, cutting switches and pulling fuses. Don't let them do it. Don't let Pop kill everything. I hate you. I hate you. Insults won't get you anywhere. I wish you were dead. We were for a long while. Now we're going to start really living. Instead of being handled and massaged, we're going to live. Once more, Daddy. Just once more. One more minute of the nursery, that's all. Just one more minute. Oh, George, it can't hurt, really. Uh... Oh, all right, all right. Only shut up. One minute, and that's the end. Forever. Gee, thanks, Pop. Thanks. And then we're going on a vacation. Dr. McLean is coming in half an hour to help us out. Lydia, turn on the nursery for just a minute. Oh, boy. Come on, Wendy. Come on. Thanks, Daddy. Thanks a lot. Just one minute, remember? Now, where'd I put those suitcases? Lydia! Don't shout, George. I'm right here. Did you leave them alone in the nursery? Well, I've got to get ready, George. Well, I guess we'd better get them out of there before they get involved with those beasts again. Come on, quick. Wendy, Peter, what's the matter? Hurry up. Open the nursery. Wendy, Peter. Uh, they aren't anywhere. Wendy, Peter. Peter, the door. Open the door. Oh. They've locked up from the outside. Peter. Peter. Wendy, Peter, open the door, dear. Let us out, Peter. Open the door. It's time to go. Open the door. George, the lions. Peter, do you hear me? Open this door. They're all around us, George. Son, son, do you hear me? Let us out. Son. George, look out. The lions, they're coming. When Dr. David McLean came half hour later, he found the two children in the nursery sitting in the center of the open glade eating a picnic lunch. Beyond them was the water hole and the yellow veldt land. Above was the hot sun. At a distance, Dr. McLean saw the lions fighting and clawing and then settling down to feed in silence under the shady trees. Hi, kids. Where are your mom and dad? Oh, they'll be here directly. Good, good. We've got to get along. He squinted at the lions with his hands up to his eyes. Now they were done feeding and they moved to the water hole to drink. A shadow flickered as the vultures dropped down from the blazing sky to finish what the lions left. Dr. McLean? Dr. McLean? Huh? What? Have a cup of tea? Which concludes my report to date. There were no lions, of course. Not in a physical sense. Lydia and George were devoured, however, almost as surely as if there had been lions. Their personalities were devoured by the mechanistic marbles which had usurped their role as parents. All four members of the family are under intensive therapy now and are doing as well as can be expected. 
Send that by telerope, Miss Carver. Oh, and uh, would you ask George Abbott to step inside? I'm ready for it. And that was The Vilt, an episode of X-Minus One, a very great uh, NBC series. This was from 1955 of August, uh, August 4th, 1955, was when this program aired. You'll notice how at the end they, they kind of bend over backwards to say, all four members of the family are all right, nothing happened, it's not, you know, whereas if you've read the story, it doesn't end like that at all. But, you know, broadcast medium, especially 1955, had to do that. Well, this has been uh, Gremlin Time. We presented two um, adaptations of some famous uh, short or of short stories. Uh, one was uh, Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price, and as you just heard, was The Felt from uh, X Minus One. Let's see. I want to thank folks who have gone to kboo.fm and slash give and have become a member. They're like back in what they believe in. We need you to go there right now and uh, become a member. So. Uh, go to kboo.fm slash give. You know, the station only stays on the air with uh, your support. And we like to thank folks who have stepped up. And now's the time when you can be one of the cool kids as well and become a member of uh, KBOO Portland. And that's kboo.fm slash give. Do it today. Well, I'm going to have to get out of here now and stay tuned for uh, Self-Help Radio. They're coming up here. Um, let's get out of here with a little bit of music. The moon is a harsh mistress. Pat Matheny.
You're listening to KBOO Portland.